opening the scriptures to the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans, the fifth chapter. We'll be concentrating on verses one and two of the fifth chapter. I want to read the immediate context, verses one through five. Romans chapter five, reading verses one through five. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The opening verses of Romans chapter 5 outline for us the privileges of justification. These are most glorious verses in a wonderful letter. If Christians really understood these verses about justifications, the counselor's work would be halved. There is nothing more invigorating and nothing more transforming than the privileges of justification. Paul in these verses is exploring the privileges of justification. Article 11 of the 39 Articles of the Church of England, which in 1563 was written, summarized their beliefs and describes justification as a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort. Correctly understood, justification will comfort you and strengthen you. The believer's acceptance to eternal life is not some far off goal grounded and stored up in moral and spiritual qualities in the believer's life. Rather, rather it is a present reality. It is here and now. As far as the demands of the law are concerned, justification is based on the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the believer. Imputation means reckoning or crediting something to someone else's account. And it is used often in the fourth chapter of Romans. Because of the union between believers in Christ, the sins of believers are imputed to Christ, who died as their sin bearer, so securing forgiveness. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed to believers, which is the basis of their acceptance with God. John Calvin gives a classic definition of these cluster of concepts. He says, We explain justification simply as the acceptance with which God receives us into his favor as righteous men. And we say that it consists in the remission of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Here are the two elements of justification, both the forgiveness of sins and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. 
what God does negatively and positively in the, in the work of justification. Paul's starting point here in verse 1 of chapter 5 is, Therefore, having been justified by faith, so he's referring to an act completely done that's in the past, that's decisively finished. We have been justified. It's complete. It's finished. There's nothing more that needs to be done. An irreversible has taken, plain, taken place in our status. Is this true of you? Have you been justified by faith? Is this your position? Are you in doubt? Are you unsure? The previous four chapters show our desperate need for righteousness from God and God's provision for your need in his Son. Respond to the gospel, which is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. Call on faith on Jesus Christ that you may receive in him the righteousness of God. If you have been justified by faith, then the connecting word, therefore, is very relevant to you. Therefore, something else is also true. In this context, therefore is not merely chronological, one thing after another. Paul is not saying that we have dealt with justification, therefore let's move on to something else. We might say that today is Sunday and tomorrow is Monday. Chronological. Rather, the therefore here is dynamic. Being justified by faith is the foundation, is the basis for all that Paul is about to discuss. Justification is the source of the next 11 verses. He is listing the privileges that we have as a result of justification. He is filling in what the doctrine of justification means to you. You have been justified by faith. Therefore, this is true. This is a situation that you need to memorize, to absorb, to internalize. If you are a Christian, your basic identity is that you have been justified by faith. That's what God has made you. That defines your existence. This awareness needs to saturate every part of your life. Christians become downcast, discouraged, and depressed when they forget that they have been justified by faith. Justification must govern all that you think about yourselves and all that we do. By God's mercy, we have been justified by faith. So what are the privileges of the justified? In these opening two verses, Paul announces three implications. The privilege of peace in the past, the privilege of grace in the present, and the privilege of glory in the future. The first privilege, the privilege of peace in the past. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice two ideas in this phrase, what we have and how we get it. What we have is peace. What Paul says literally is that we have peace towards God. 
We have peace with regard to God. We have peace as far as God is concerned. This is different from the peace of God. That is a feeling, a very real blessing. Paul writes about the peace of God in Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is the peace that God gives us. It is serenity, it's calmness, or a sense of being loved. It's something that we experience, that we feel. It's not something that we always have. Sometimes we lose the peace of God. We get distressed about circumstances. Sometimes we become downcast. Sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful blessing that we are to seek the peace of God. But that is not what Paul is describing in verse 1. He is not speaking about something that is subjective, that is inside ourselves, that we have much of the time, but not all the time. He is speaking about something objective, outwardly, outside of ourselves, something that is always true, whether we feel it or not. He is saying, as a matter of fact, there is peace between us and God. Previously, we were God's enemies. Our Creator was angry with us. But now, since we have been justified by faith, we are at peace. There is no enmity between God and the believer. There are no issues that separate us. God holds nothing against us. We have peace towards God. We have peace with God. This sounds simple. Yet numerous Christians forget that they have peace with God. There are believers who are haunted by the sins of the past. Sometimes those sins are very serious and have dreadful consequences. Sometimes the sins are comparatively trivial. Sometimes it may last a week. Sometimes it occurred a decade ago. These Christians are burdened with a heavy conscience. They wake up in the middle of the night and remember what they've said or what they have done. Their assurance of salvation is weakened. They are disturbed and distressed. The problem is this. They don't understand the doctrine of justification. They have forgotten that Jesus Christ has taken all of our sins on himself. He was punished for them on the cross. God's justice is fully satisfied. Their sins have been taken away. They are forgiven. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their transgressions to them. Paul says that God doesn't count our trespasses. He doesn't remember them. He doesn't hold them against us. He doesn't notice them. They are forgiven in Christ. Hugh Latimer, English reformer and martyr, was a preacher with a forceful and vivid style. In 1555, under Queen Mary, he was burned at the stake for his reform beliefs. In one of his sermons prior, he said, Our Savior maketh our sins nothing, so that they be like as if we had done no sin at all. Our sins be gone. 
They are no sins. They cannot hurt us. Hugh Latimer. We have been justified by faith. That's what happens when you believe in Christ. All of your sins are forgiven and forgotten. Don't let the past haunt you. Remember them so that you are careful. They are a warning, but don't let them rob you or take away your joy of salvation. We have peace with God. How do we get the peace? How do we get peace is through Jesus. Look at the phrase, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that all of our dealings with God are through Christ. All of God's dealings with us are through Christ. God never deals with any of us in any other way than through his blessed Son. Jesus is the mediator. He is the one between God and man. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Martin Luther once said, I will have nothing to do with an absolute God. What he meant by that is, I cannot relate to God apart from Christ. I cannot bypass Jesus Christ. There is no interaction between God and me then through Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of God's dealings with you are through the Savior who loved you and died for you. This is the reason that God can forgive you. This is the fundamental and basic thoughts of justification. You may enjoy peace of God only as you remember that you have peace towards God, which is through Jesus Christ. The first privilege of justification is that we have peace in the past. The privilege of grace in the present through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The second privilege of justification is that we have grace in the present. There are three themes in this phrase. The position of the Christian, which is grace. The prerogative of the Christian, which is access. And the posture of the Christian, which is to stand position of the Christian, which is grace. On one hand, too many evangelical churches have people who are legalistic. They are harsh, judgmental, and critical. Christianity is hard work. Christianity is grim duty. On the other hand, too many evangelical churches have people who are like John Bunyan's Mr. Fearing and his daughter, much afraid. They are fragile, they are down in the dumps. They are guilt-ridden. They are burdened by a constant sense of failure. To both of these people, the problem is the same. They have forgotten about grace. Justification speaks of grace. Grace takes us farther than peace. Peace with God means that God is nothing against us. Grace from God means that God loves us. He delights in us. He is generous. He showers blessings upon us. 
God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't just accept us grudgingly. He loves his children. He sees us as perfectly righteous in his son. <coughs> Charles Spurgeon says something that might be shocking at first. When God looks upon a sinner who an hour ago was dead in trespasses and sins, he looks upon him with as much love and affection as he ever looked upon his son. This is an expression of our union with Christ. Because the believers in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees Christ. He loves his son in us. <coughs> sometimes we grieve him sometimes he has to discipline us a parent properly disciplines a child out of love not hate <coughs> God disciplines us because of love God is always gracious toward us God always loves us If you are a Christian, you don't need to prove anything to God. You don't need to try to impress God. You don't need to win his favor. You have it now and always. The position of the Christian is grace. The prerogative of the Christian is access. <clears throat> Paul uses this word access, which means Entrance into the presence of a king through the favor of another. It is only used three times in the New Testament. Someone takes you into the palace, through all the corridors, and into the throne room of the king. Jesus brings us into the presence of God's favor. So Paul writes in Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And in Ephesians 3 verse 12 he writes, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Are you using this access? Have you been in the king's presence today? Have you been into the holy of holies by the blood of Christ is it your practice to be there each day? Or are you living as if the veil was not torn in two? We have gained access at any time, in any place. You can go right into the presence of God and find him gracious. We have grace. We have access. The posture of the Christian is to stand. We stand we don't lie, we don't kneel, we don't grovel, we stand. This is a favorite word of Paul. And it has two ideas. The idea of confidence and the idea of certainty. There's the idea of boldness or confidence. It is used as someone standing in the law court. Psalm 1 verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Psalm 103, verse 3, 130, verse 3 asks, If you, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? Who could have confidence? 
But we are in Christ. We don't crawl into God's presence. We don't cringe before God. There is a sense and we have a right to be there. In Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We have confidence. There's also the idea of stability or certainty. The, the, the word is used of troops in a battle. They take a stand against the enemy. You couldn't move them back. Paul speaks of standing in Ephesians 6, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, verse 11, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, verse 13, therefore stand, verse 14, certainty, confidence and certainty. When Martin Luther was on trial for his faith, he said, Since then, your majesty and your lordship desire a simple reply, I will answer without thorns and without teeth. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. The earliest printed versions of these words include, Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. The words, though not recorded on the spot, may nevertheless be genuine because the listeners at that moment may have been too moved to write, Here I stand. We stand confidently, securely, because we stand in grace, like on a rock, if you stood on your works or on your faith, you would be standing on shifting sand. It was nothing that we did that brought us into grace, and there is nothing we can do that can pull us out of grace. Do you really believe in the grace of God? One of the gems of the Reformation is the Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1563. It sets forth the privilege of grace in the present, in question 60. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith. That is, although my conscience accuses me that I have never kept any of them and is still prone against all the commandments of God and always to do evil, yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never committed nor had any sin and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ fulfilled for me, if only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. Do not live looking at the frustrations and the weariness of life. The position of the Christian is grace. The prerogative of the Christian is access. And the position of the Christian is to stand. Look again at the present privileges of grace. The privilege of glory in the future. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The third privilege of justification is that we rejoice 
in the glory of God. We live in uncertain times. The optimism of the mid-20th century is gone. The terrorist attack of September 11, 2001 have crippled our hopes. 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists in four coordinated attacks with commercial airlines killed 2,977 people and injured more than 6,000 others. People are fearful about the future. We are uncertain about the environment, the economy, the culture, and believers are affected. There is moral decline and Christian weakness. Our temptation is to become pessimistic and discouraged. We need to repel these things and little slogans will not be enough. Paul says that we Christians rejoice. The word means to boast, to exalt, to glory. We are filled with triumphant confidence. It is both the expression and the emotion of joy. In every believer, there should be a real center of inner joy. If you under, understand justification, you will be a rejoicing people. We rejoice in hope. Hope in the New Testament has a different sense than the one that is common to us. For us, hope is something that we want but is not certain. I hope tomorrow will be a nice day. But I don't know. In the New Testament, hope is something that is certain, but has not yet happened. There is no doubt. The hope of the glory of God is something that is sure, but has not yet fully happened. The hope of the glory of God is anticipated in three ways. Glory in the world, glory in the believer, and glory in the Lord. Glory in the world. Christ is going to restore this world. Christ is going to renew the creation. The powers of wickedness and evil are going to be expelled. There is going to be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. As we look at this fallen, sinful, cursed world, we know that the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. We are hopeful. We rejoice in that hope of the glory of God in the world. Glory in the believer. Paul describes this in Romans 8.18 as the glory which shall be revealed in us. How dissatisfied we are with ourselves. How ashamed we are. How often we disappoint ourselves. We have things in us that we hate. We want to be free. To die will be a big adventure. C.S. Lewis writes, If you could see the person sitting beside you now, as they will be one day, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them. We will be so glorious. We will be so beautiful. In our resurrection bodies and our sinless souls, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First John 3, 2. Think about who you will be and what you will be like. By God's grace, you will be glorified forever and ever. Never again will you be sorry for anything you said. Never again will you ask forgiveness for what you have done. 
Never again will you grieve the Holy Spirit. You will be gloriously holy for all eternity. You'll be surrounded by glorious, beautiful people. We rejoice in a confident expectation of the glory of God in the believer, the glory of God in the world, the glory of God in the believer, and the glory in the Lord. When we gaze upon the Lord, we will gaze upon the Lord of glory forever. John writes in Revelation 22, 3 and 4, His servants shall serve him and they shall see his face. The psalmist says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. It will be definitely more than our little minds can take in. We will be ravished with inexpressible delight to all eternity. This is who we are. We are not an outdated minority. We are not a primitive, bigoted fundamentalist. We are not a pathetic people who need a crutch of religion. We are not offering an optional extra for life. We are people who have a grand and glorious vision of a renewed universe with renewed men and women in the very presence of God himself. Is this how people perceive us? Lloyd-Jones has the comment that if people could see us as we are, they would come and ask, how is it that you have this confidence before you? How is it that you are so happy in your circumstances? There was a Scottish couple who lived all their lives in poverty. They didn't have much. They heard of a traveling art specialist. And as he came to their town, they remembered that they had inherited a painting which they had stored in the attic. They brought the painting down and the art specialist examined the painting and it was worth millions of dollars. The illustration is that they were wealthy people and they didn't know it. That is part of our plight as the people of God, being justified by faith with peace in the past, and grace in the present, and glory in the future. We have a glorious privilege in justification. Let's bow in prayer. We thank you, Father, for the clarity of your word we ask that it might seep into our thoughts to realize that past and present and future are all covered by what your gracious Son has done and what you have planned and purposes for all eternity and what your Spirit has accomplished in our lives. We thank you for your goodness and we ask that we might have a greater understanding and appreciation of this doctrine of justification by faith and the privileges that accompany it. We plead for your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.